This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash thecitadelcafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 469 for Wednesday, September 13th, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we're into. Joining me this week, Stephen ESC is back. When he is online, you can find him at Stephen ESC on Twitter and every so often on Twitch. That's Stephen with a PH if you're interested. Hello, sir, and welcome back to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. As always, I I don't remember how long we've been doing this, but it's been a couple of years, I think. I think we started, it was January uh, 2021, I th- no, 2020, I believe. Almost four years, really? Uh, No, then it would be 2021. I'm getting my math wrong. Yes, yeah, so I, I was thinking 2023, but January of next year will be three years as a regular, at least anyway. I've been doing it for a bit longer than that, just on and off. Right, yeah. I think there was some popping in and popping out and, and certainly coming by for things like the, the holiday episode and, and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's math and then there's COVID math, right? And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Yeah, I mean, Ryan and Murphy and I have the same conversation, uh, almost like an in-joke now whenever he's on the show. And I basically look up before the show the last time that he was on, because ultimately he says, like, I don't remember when I was on. And I can be like, well, I, I can tell you. <laughs> it's, <laughs> nice. uh, it's been this episode and this number and this many days and all that kind of stuff. Usually if there's been any gaming news, that's usually the last time that I've had Ryan on the show. Right. But in the interim, over the summer, uh, what have you been up to? I mean, as we discussed last time, work's been busier than usual, but I took a little bit of time off the last couple, a couple of weeks ago, just leading up to our, our elder son going away to college. So he's staying in residence. So uh, the first time he's been away from home for this long because he's he's been homeschooled. So he's actually, <laughs> he's been basically here all the time since he was like four or five years old. So this is, it's a... It was a huge, huge deal for our family and it continues to be, but so we had a, a couple of busy weeks leading up to it and the moving day itself was pretty busy. Um, but we got everything in, got it all. We didn't get anything really set up. It was more of a, let's, let's get everything there get it in and shoved off to the side as neatly as possible for him to put away himself, uh, over the next couple of days or whatever. But man, it was, we, we knew it was going to be a, an emotional sort of parting but it was it was harder than we thought it was going to be especially the first couple of facetimes was just was just rough because i mean he's he shared a a room with his brother ever since his younger brother was born so he had been you know and he always you know they always said no offense to his younger brother but he's was looking forward to having a room of his own as a young man would you know yeah but he didn't realize how how alone that would be not not even necessarily mm-hmm. just how alone he would feel missing his brother and family but like in a room with a closed door and strangers around just like he didn't realize how yeah isolated or alone he would feel right right away and so it was it was it was tough to see him like that in the in the first couple of facetimes but you know basically the, it, as every day is went by 
he got more and more comfortable, um, got to see the campus, got to see his classrooms. Um, so this is, this is his first time in a classroom setting even. So he's excited for that kind of, I'm assuming he, he, he kind of downplays everything. So it's hard to tell exactly how he's feeling. He <laughs> just plays it, plays, he plays it cool a little bit. So mm-hmm. it's hard to know whether he's really, he was really anxious about it or if he was just a bit nervous about it. But yeah, he's, he seems to be enjoying it. Every time we talk to him, he's, um, he's opened up a little bit more and he seems more at ease. And now in, instead of his room feeling like it's this box that he's alone in, it's, it's already become like his little refuge that he goes back and hangs out in and, and decompresses and relaxes. So it's a, uh, tell you i'm uh unbelievably grateful for all the tech that allows us to (laughs) stay connected and have a chat with him every night so it's been good i was about to say facetime would have been really interesting when i went to school uh my first my first time away from home uh in that light was in 97 that's when i went to school so like there wasn't even cell phones like uh there i think there was a hall phone in in every Every floor in the dorm that I was in at Mount A had a hall phone, I think. But you could also just pay the New Brunswick, you know, telecom and get a phone in your room. And my roommate had right. a girlfriend in Moncton, which is about a 45 minute drive away from school. So he was on the phone all the time with her. So he got his own phone and he just said, you're welcome to use it whenever you want. Um, I, I don't remember whether we split the cost of it. I mean, back then it would have been like, you know, 10 bucks a month a piece or something silly. Like it was, yeah, the land, it's a landline kids. It had a cord and it was attached to the wall. Like it, was, <laughs> there, it wasn't even a cordless phone. He might've maybe brought one back later so he could lie in bed and talk to, uh, Crystal. I'm, I remember because he used to talk to her constantly. So I just, yeah, <laughs> I remember exactly those details, but for me, like having a roommate right away meant there was at least someone to talk to. We were, yeah. we got along fine. I wouldn't say we were best friends, but like having someone that was tolerable that you could at least bounce like, Hey, this is all new. How did you register for this class? Or like, where did you find yeah. that? And how, where, which computer lab are you going to? Like all that kind of stuff. You had someone to kind of bounce it off of. And I don't know whether, you know, the, where your son is going is as organized as Mount Allison was when I was there, but we had like frosh groups and all kinds of orientation stuff where you get to know people pretty well and while i wasn't homeschooled i i did feel like i came out of my shell you know at at mount a and mm-hmm. i think a lot of it was just like those are the first times i ever went to a cafe on my own to draw didn't go with anybody just sat there by myself with a coffee and drew maybe while my yeah. laundry was being done or something like that this was later on after i moved off campus but like th- those four years were f- more formative i would say than anything i did in in high school um mm-hmm. and and i I don't know how it would equate to to homeschooling. I'm sure you could probably, you know, speak to this. But like for me, high school, I was just on rails. Like you were still told where to go, what to do, what classes to take, with the exception of a couple, you know, you you that you could choose. You basically had to take all the normal stuff, math, science, you know, English. Yeah. All that stuff. Uh and and then and you just took the class and it and once you took the class, it happened when it happened. You know, and like, whereas like at Mount A, like, I think there were probably like a couple different intro courses to science or whatever that you could take. And if you, if you didn't like the time of day that it was happening this semester, you could always take it next semester when it wasn't first thing on a Monday morning or something like that, you know? So you had a lot more choice to kind of sculpt your day and and live your life a little bit better. And so I don't know how on rails homeschooling feels. I mean, I'm assuming by the time your boys are in high school, they're a little bit more, you know self-sufficient and like they don't have to like 
sit there from like eight to three every day, like someone that would go to high school would, right? Yeah, I mean their their schedule and from a, when they were homeschooled was fairly loose. Like they had they had like a week a week schedule of lessons, and they had to get stuff done by the end of each day, basically. So if they woke mm. up and they decided they wanted to play video games for two hours, and then and then they had to just sit down and get all of the stuff done in a short period of time because they quote unquote wasted their morning away, then they could do that if they wanted to, or they could kind of wake up and basically eat their breakfast, start their lessons. And sometimes if they were just really focused, they were done by noon and they had the rest of the day and, mm-hmm. and they could, they could, we, we basically allowed them to, we worked with them to pick courses that they liked. I mean, they're just from, from a, from a curriculum perspective, the the government of Nova Scotia expected you to have like certain, certain courses taken care of. So like on their transcript, you know, t- typically you would have, you know, you have to have your, like a, a high school history and you have to have some sciences and some maths and things like that. So my wife who was in charge of all the homeschooling and hats off to her because she did that from, from primary all the way through the end of high school for her elder child. Um, yeah, basically made sure that they hit all of the things that they needed and then otherwise just let them pick different courses and things that, that would be along the lines of what they were interested in. So, so this, this is going to be a, a much more focused and structured school experience <laughs> than he's ever had before so i don't remember whether it was this show or whether it was the sh- whether it was the spawn chunks but tadpole milk was on and he was talking about like you know getting good at minecraft and i was talking about the time in and how after a certain amount of time there's just a lot of stuff that starts to come naturally and one of my mm-hmm. things that i really liked about going to mount a and going to school was now all the courses that i took granted it was a heavy course load at Mount A, they were all focused on art, which was all things I was very interested in. So it mm-hmm. became a lot easier to go to school. Like I didn't really, I mean, over time, sure, you start to dislike art history because it's kind of a long, boring 90 minutes of slides and someone talking about dead people that made art, you know, like it's, unless yeah, yeah. you're really into <laughs> history, like it, it could be a little bit of a slog. Um, but overall, like you're still like, I am still learning about art. I'm still making art. I'm still doing all these things daily as opposed to sitting through French class where there's some disruptive student in the back being a dick, you know, like just all that kind of stuff I did not have to deal with. And I found that I really hit my stride and and found that it was more enjoyable rather than having to hit like a certain, you know, metric. Um, So like when you have a choice, like all that kind of stuff, well, I mean, it's like anything else, like you and I both enjoy the line of work that we're in. It makes going to work every day a lot easier, despite the fact that you can get busy and we, and it's still valid that you feel overwhelmed or stressed about deadlines or whatever. Like that's all still part of life, but it's a lot easier to take that shit when you still like what you do <laughs> at the end it's of true. the day, it's true. you know, like, um, cause I, I have that thing where like, I try not to complain about what I'm doing and where I am because I'm trying to improve it. And I get, um, as we do on this show, self-critical about the little things about what's not going right when the broadly things are going okay and uh, my friend Britt will be quick to remind me like look you're allowed to complain like you it's still a job <laughs> like you know you're still doing it for money that means there's stress involved there's deadlines for things that you like you have to get stuff done you have to be productive you can't just slough off all the time but yeah like try not to beat yourself up for taking a half day to play video games like it's not the end of the world you know and and that kind of stuff and it's hard you know as someone that did a lot of freelance and and you know i don't i don't like to use the word starving artist but it's the easiest way to kind of communicate because i was never starving 
Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, very tight budget, very heavy workload at an early age, starting off in, in my career. And it's hard to beat that mentality out of you when you are more experienced, have more lucrative things happening and have free time. It is weird. <laughs> it's just weird <laughs> when you've got, you know, when you've gone for so long without free time, it's like when you first finish school and you get out of the workforce and you realize that the workforce gives you no homework at five o'clock, you're done. You know, when you have one of those regular nine to five jobs and yes. in animation, it was the same thing. I'd get home at six o'clock and I'd be just like, what do I do now? I worked all day. It's fine. But I just, I was like, I, what do I do now? I don't have any homework. So it's hard to get used to sometimes. Well, speaking of playing video games uh, in the daytime when I'm supposed to be working, even though playing video games <laughs> is now part of my job, like, I mean, you see where I get confused. Uh, I actually started to play Starfield, which was a launch day for September 6th for me. I was originally going to be playing it on the 5th, but I actually ended up not sleeping well the night before. And I just, I knew that I could not do a 9 p.m. to midnight stream launching a new game and be at all energetic. So I thought, you know what? It's just going to be better to be an adult about this and sleep and, and launch it the next day. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I did because the first impressions of the game have been really mixed. Uh, there's mixed reviews. There's a lot of people singing its praises. There's a lot of people that are playing hundreds of hours in the game. Uh, I've read reviews and it's really hard to find a balance because there's people that are basically like zero reviewing it because they just don't think the game is delivering what it promised, but they're also reading between the lines and, and thinking that it was over promising when it wasn't. And oh, okay. for me, I mean, it, for people that aren't familiar, Starfield is a, it's a space sci-fi RPG set in the 2300s. So like 2330, I think is the, the date, you know, when you start the game. And basically, humans have popular, popularized uh, Alpha Centauri or populated Alpha Centauri. There's a bunch of different colonies. Earth is a wasteland and you're out in space. You very quickly get thrown into the story and you join a team of explorers called Constellation. They're not that dissimilar to a very tiny federation. They're basically about exploring space, science discovery, and helping people along the way, essentially. And you can make decisions through dialogue trees as to who you befriend. Uh, what missions you want to take and if you want to help little side characters or if you want to just skip straight ahead and go straight down the main mission path, that kind of stuff. Uh, very similar to Skyrim if you've ever seen it played because Bethesda is the same developer. Uh, this is the first new IP from Bethesda in a long time, like 10 plus years, I think. Mm. And Starfield has been in development for seven uh, and then, of course, just released here this month. And I, that's a significant number because the lack of polish, like the lack of finish on a game that's been in development for seven years is astounding. And really, yeah, Bethesda is infamous for having some bugs, like a little bit of jank in their game, little things that don't necessarily work the way that they were intended. I've not encountered any game breaking bugs. There have been some crashes that are very specific to certain hardware. There has been performance issues on the xbox and on some pcs with non-amd hardware so people that have nvidia cards and intel processors have not been having the best performance it still works mm -hmm. it's just not as shiny as they advertise and uh there have been a few but i have not encountered them yet mission bugs where like you need to complete this dialogue tree to finish this mission and the dialogue tree just doesn't exist or your next rendezvous Oof. point just isn't given to you in the game. And so people are just like, this mission is bugged out. And 
unless it's a like if it's a side mission it doesn't matter as much it still sucks but it's not like it's keeping you from finishing the game um and the game is supposed to be infinite in that once you finish the main story they've written something into it and i don't know what it is because i've been avoiding spoilers where you can then continue to play the game continue to level up explore new things there are a thousand planets in this rpg uh some of which are completely procedurally generated some of them are uh man like man-made you know in bethesda studios sculpted to have a very specific experience in certain areas and then once you go outside those areas they're back to being procedurally generated because there's no right. it's just a bunch of rocks you know or something like that uh where the cities and stuff like that they're not procedural they're just they're actually you know sculpted just like you'd see in a lot of other video games so um i've been enjoying the story for so far like the positives are despite a quick kind of drop you in and away you go very similar to any zelda game that you might have played or seen played where it's like the road is dangerous here take this sword and you're basically like off to the adventure and away you go Yep. It's the same idea. You meet this guy, Barrett. He's like, hey, you've had the same vision I have. Here, here's the keys to my ship. You should go join Constellation. Bye now. And he's like, what? <laughs> he just gave That's me. very generous of you, stranger. <laughs> you've met the guy for five minutes. He's like, you should be the captain. You know, you're on the thing. The robot is calling you captain within 30 seconds. And like, it's just, it's your ship for all intents and purposes. <laughs> like, you can mod it. You can add things to it. You can store all your stuff in it. The guy just kind of gives you his spaceship. I haven't seen him since. Um, there is a mission to go back and talk to him at some point, I'm sure. But like, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, fine game. Like that's tutorial over. Um, I get it. But that's where, you know, the things that are a bit buggy start to raise their heads. Like as a UI and, and as a graphic designer, you would have a field day picking apart the things that they are lacking <laughs> in this thing. Like it, it, the inconsistency of like, you know, buttons that you press to enter in, uh, interfaces, the lack of visual feedback or audio feedback that you've done something, uh, the sheer volume of menus and different buttons you have to press to go inside and outside of menus. And they all look the uh, same with like the in. smallest little thing in the background, indicating that you're in an inventory in a shop not or not you know like it's just it's really really frustrating in that way and it really takes the momentum out of it because the combat in the game is a first person shooter so like you get machine guns and you can modify them and then you can go into battles and it's all very action paced and then you get back to your ship and you're in the menus for 15 minutes like dumping your inventory and selling stuff and and where did i put that and like is that this gun or that gun and they all look the exact same mm -hmm. there's they're the same color Maybe one of them has like a slightly different color handle, but like it's very difficult to to sort all that kind of stuff out, especially when you compare it to other games that do that very well. Like Borderlands, you might pick up a couple of different guns, but like one is bright pink and one is bright blue. Like you can immediately remember, I like the blue <laughs> one. I'm going to sell the pink one, you know, like that kind of stuff. And and so it's a little bit difficult in that way. Um, and then the other stuff that's that's buggy that is the stuff that takes me out of it. And that's like, two npcs talking to you at the same time like it is Ugh. day one is this your first video game mistake like it is really really surprising the level of stuff like that that's happening in the game you know you're walking and then you turn to talk to your robot companion and he doesn't have a walk cycle he's just sliding beside you and you're like what okay Sure, that's a little buggy. It doesn't break the game, but it's just like it pulls you out of whatever you're doing and you're like, all oh, right, I'm playing a video game. And the thing that drives me nuts about the characters talking at once is like, these are things that really should be second nature. 
You know, like if you uh, interact with an NPC and you're going to talk to that NPC, that should be the only audio you're hearing. I should not be hearing either people talking to me or people talking to one another for that like kind of ambient environment noise. If I'm mm -hmm. in talking to an NPC, moving the plot forward and they're t saying important stuff, I shouldn't have to then deal with whatever's being said next to me because whatever's being said next to me, it's a written recorded line that's not worthless. It'd be akin to you like you asking your wife, how is your day? And then one of your boys coming in and ask and talking about what they're making for dinner, both of which are interesting to you and you want to know, but they're both being said at the same time, right? Like mm -hmm. it's just, it's infuriating. And there's all kinds of stuff like that. The, the conversations between my companions, there's uh, two women in, in the game that had a, a conversation about not fitting in with Constellation. One woman was from a different faction and she thought, you know, she wasn't sure if people in Constellation liked her. I kid you not, Stephen, they had that conversation every minute. Every 60 to 90 <laughs> seconds, they had the exact same conversation as I was going through a firefight with them. So like they'd be bang, 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 help me out with what I'm doing as we're trying to retrieve this artifact. And then the moment the gunfire is over, they go back to talking about the exact same thing with the exact same dialogue. And it's like, did anybody at Bethesda bother to turn the game on and try it before they sent it out? It, like, it's surprising to me. Now, I'm not a Bethesda apologist. I'm not a Bethesda fan. I, Skyrim was okay. I didn't play very much of it. Uh, I was late mm. to it and it was kind of old by the time I got to it. So it didn't really grab me. There's a lot of people that love that stuff. But I think that Bethesda relies far too heavily in an arrogant way that the people out there, they've just played enough enough Bethesda games that they know how this is going to go. And that is really arrogant and poor game design, if you ask me. It's kind of mind boggling that they would let, that they would release something with that level of unfinished. Like you're, you're just listing all of these things off and I'm just shaking my head here. I just can't. I mean, I guess in today's day and age, you've got the benefit of, I shouldn't say benefit, but they, if it's a, a downloadable game, then they could, you know, you can get patches and patches and patches. Whereas like, can you imagine if like this was the kind of thing that was this buggy in a cartridge or something like back in the day? Oh, exactly. Right. Or, or bring it forward into any other kind of profession. You design a website yeah. for me oh my goodness, yeah. and you've missed that two of the links don't work. Uh, there's a couple of spelling mistakes and uh, two of the images don't load. And you're like, all done. Thanks. Pay me now. I'd be like, uh, yeah. no, <laughs> you need to finish your job. And that I did. I met the deadline. Exactly. Right. Well. <laughs> and this is what I'm saying is that like, I'm really glad that I did not pay $90 Canadian for the mm. basic version of this game. It's included in game pass. Now, do I pay for game pass monthly? Yeah. It's about 20 bucks Canadian after taxes, but I get to play Forza and Halo and a bunch of other stuff that I enjoy. And this uh, happens to be included because Microsoft owns Bethesda now. And I'm glad it does uh, because I, I don't think, I mean, had this not been uh, included in game pass, I would not have been playing day one. Uh, there's a number of people in our community that are seeing all that's going on, have watched me play the first six to eight hours on stream and decided I'm going to wait until they patch some of these bugs before I play it, you know, or I need to wait for yeah, my, yeah. The, 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 the patch, the technical stuff. So my system can handle it. if I want to play on PC, um, but there's like the basic stuff that's missing. There's no brightness slider. There's no adjusting for HDR. I'm not sure if you've played a game that has any kind of HDR in it, but they often give you like a adjust the no. brightness of this um, of this game until this little gray square is barely visible. 
and basically it just oh, it just kind right. of adjusts the game to the black levels on your tv so that when you're going through a shadowy area it's dark and spooky but you can still see where you're going and right. starfield is the opposite it's so washed out on xbox series x which is the microsoft system it's exclusive to which is the you know the company that owns bethesda and there's no settings <laughs> to adjust the hdr it's not set up correctly so when you go into this dark dank uh, area of a city called the well which is basically like the poor area it's all like air vents and pipes and it looks like you're in the, the kind of like the bowels of a city kind of idea and it's so over lit like it's so washed out there's no contrast there's no dark corners everything is just kind of like muddy sepia and you're just i can't adjust it i can't fix it because the game says no no we did it right no you didn't like if you're gonna if you're mm -hmm. gonna have control over this stuff like do it right and having that's yeah sure. like you don't even have an fov slider minecraft has an fov slider <laughs> you know <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah that kind of stuff just seems like a lot of oversights but now and those to me are again they're not game breaking but they're certainly review sliding like i don't look at this and say 10 out of 10 fantastic game there are a lot of reviews out there that say 10 out of 10 i don't know why i have no idea how you could look at this and say yeah it's perfect there's nothing wrong with it which is completely you know incorrect uh the best review i've seen was a youtube video that was entitled deeply flawed and yet i love it and i think that mm. that's a really good way at least it's honest yeah it's a good way to sum up how i feel uh to keep this short and that is it is deeply flawed. I will always be noticing these problems. There's probably going to be more of them. I will rant about them on my streams and get a little bit frustrated with them. But ultimately, I'm still thinking about the game when I'm not playing. Uh, the story is, oh, yeah, the good. story is interesting. The world is unique. It's not a dystopian future. It's not zombies. You know, like there's, there's, it's a hopeful game. I think that's the other thing that I like about it is that there are factions, there are pirates, there are bad people, but you are part of the same kind of hope that you get from Star Trek, you know, like you're out there to do good. You're discovering mm. things. You're looking at the future of humanity and you're trying to move things forward. There's good people around you, uh, that kind of stuff. I mean, there's some NPCs are kind of dickish, but they're not on your team. They're usually people that you have to deal with, you know, <laughs> and there's been fun moments that have been scripted. Like I had to break up a bank robbery uh, on a, I can't, I think it's called Aquila city. It's essentially like a Western town. So like there's a marshal, it feels like the old West. Everybody's got shotguns and like revolvers and stuff, space revolvers, but still revolvers. And you get on the yeah. intercom to talk to this guy and he looks, he, I shouldn't say looks cause you never can see him. Um, he sounds like he's got like two stones to rub together between his ears. And so you have this conversation where you're trying to convince him to like, <laughs> de-escalate the situation release the hostages and come out and the whole dialogue tree is really funny because of course he just his, the way that he's acted and the way that he's he talks is so uh stereotypical and it's something that you would see it of like a justified tv show or you know something you know a crime drama and so that those little bits like those little character moments the story overall the idea of how big this world is in in that if I don't want to do the main mission, I can go off and do something else. I think that's the appeal. I'm currently still kind of on those story rails and that I kind of want to see where it goes. So I mm -hmm. will continue to keep playing, but I'm trying to just for, to forgive myself for being a little negative about it when I'm streaming, because like you as a designer, as an artist, I can't unsee all of the Bethesda jank that 
is just so yeah. surprising in a game that you'd think would be more finished. Like you said, if you had to pay 90 bucks for the game, or if you had been noticing all of this stuff after spending $90 on the game, I would imagine it would just be like next level frustrated and livid. It would be really frustrating. I don't know that I've ever bought a game like that day one. I think the only time that I mm. have was if it was like a sequel. So like Borderlands 3. I played one and I played two. Granted, I didn't finish two, but it's not like I didn't like it. I just I ended up getting too busy and I didn't have the time. But because it was Borderlands right. 3, I 100% trusted the developer. I, right. I know what I'm getting into. I know what I'm expecting. It's going to be this and hopefully a bit better, you know? Um, same thing with the Batman Arkham games. Those were always good. Once I played two of them, I was like, I'm just going to play them. Now, they lost <laughs> me with Arkham uh, Asylum? No, Arkham City? Arkham Knight. Whatever the one of the more recent ones was, it wasn't very good. And I tried it. It was part of Game Pass. I had access to it. I didn't even have to pay for it. And I still didn't finish it because I just, I did not like it. There was missions that weren't very fun. Um, but those games, those Arkham games, the first two or three uh, or four, I think even, uh, I, I was in, after playing the first two, I was like, I don't care what they sell. I'm buying it because I know it'll be at least good <laughs> until they, until they lost me. Um, but that kind of stuff is, is always been sequels, uh, for video games. I usually wait for either reviews, but online these days, it's so hard to trust people because you get review bombs. You get people that just want the attention for giving something that's good, a bad review. You know, I often go to people like, you know, our friend Ryan Murphy or, other podcasts, uh, you know, Garrett Weinzerl and Kyle Ferguson, uh, Grinding Gears, I think is the name of their show. And like, they are friends of mine and I trust their opinions of stuff because, you know, they'll, they'll lay, they'll tell you like it is. They're like, yeah, it's not perfect, but I still liking it. It's still fun. You know, like I'm still having a good time. Mm -hmm. It's like when you can turn off that thing, that suspension of disbelief when you're watching a, 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 a show that's not quite hitting for you. It's like, well, if I can just backseat myself and be like, well, I just have to, this is a, meant to be silly. I'm going to let it be silly and maybe I'll have a better time. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Speaking of TV shows and the stuff that we have been watching, uh, the main discussion this week is going to be about Star Wars Ahsoka, including an email from a, a listener. So that's going to be a lot of fun to dig into. Mm -hmm. It will be full of spoilers and there will be no way to talk about this without spoilers. So I'm giving you a warning that we're going to get into it this week. Uh, but before we get into Ahsoka, you actually have gone to see a film that I have been wanting to see for quite some time. Actually, you and I were trying to make it happen. Unfortunately, schedules just didn't work out, but... Uh, before my uh, son went off to college, uh, we had a chance to go see the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, which was pretty uh, pretty great. I'd say I'd say overall, really enjoyable movie, but I think there's just something about it that just didn't... There, there's nothing about it that left me blown away, if that makes sense. So if we're running it up against something like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse... Yeah, thoroughly enjoyable and blew me away, yeah. So this is coming short of, of that. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean it's I guess partially my own fault. I didn't I didn't pay attention at the fact that it's a, a PG mm. movie. And so you know, there's only so so dark it can get. There's only like the stakes can only get so high. So that it never really felt like there's anything really ever that threatening going on or, or any point where I go, Oh my goodness, I don't know how they're going to get through this. Um but we, we, you know, my son and I, we still really liked it. It's, uh, it's visually stunning, you know. Just ever since, um, speaking of Spider First, ever since that came out, just sort of the rough, the roughness, almost like hand drawn aspect of these three D animations these days, um, 
it 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 doesn't have the same look, but it's it you know it it took three D animation and made it look a little bit claymation, colored pencil and pastels in different areas. So it had uh had a very very cool stunning look to it. Enjoyed that and you know had great voice acting. You know especially from the turtles. I thought the four kids who played the turtles did a really great job. Uh, Micah Abbey is Donatello, Shaman Brown Jr. is Michelangelo, Nicholas Cantu is Leonardo, and Brady Noon as Raphael. They were all really fun, really energetic. Uh, I think they nailed their roles <laughs> really well. There's a couple of really funny parts in it just that I think lent themselves well to p- having like really young actors or I shouldn't say really young. They weren't like five or anything like that, but you know, felt like they were early to mid teens where some of their voices were still a little bit higher and it made some of the parts more comical. So uh really enjoyed that. I thought overall, like it was, uh had, you know, really fun and appropriate music to what was going on throughout the entire thing, which is, you know, again, nothing stood out as like, oh, that was just amazing. But it seemed to suit it as we went along. So it was good. There was actually, um, there was one action sequence, one fight sequence that I thought they really, really nailed. And I guess now that I'm looking back at it, it didn't, maybe it didn't blow my mind, but it, that would be the, the, probably my favorite part in the entire thing because they it's sort of when the uh, the turtles are finding their groove, fighting the bad guys. I guess I should say, bit of a spoiler alert, but but, but essentially once they it's almost like they intentionally found four different mob bosses that they wanted to go after <laughs> there's so there are four turtles four mob bosses and so basically the the fight sequence started with the, with all of them kind of bursting into the room of one of the mobsters like and like michelangelo would have been in the front of one of them and then it shows them bursting into another room and Raphael would have been in front of the other one and they did that two more times and then the fight starts with whoever was in the front of that room leading the fight sequence and the camera was following them from the side and then it would cut to them being in the other mobster spot. And so it was almost like, just for example, say some one of them was go- throwing an uppercut and just before it landed, then it would switch to the other turtle landing that uppercut nice. on a different mobster. And it was like the same, it was like the same fight, but cut between four different mob, um, yeah, mob boss sequences. And it was, it was, re- and because it was 3D animated, it was seamless. Like they actually did a really solid job of that. Funny at times. Some funny strikes for those who enjoy the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics, or sorry, cartoons or movies um, back from when I was younger. Or, um, yeah, it was good. Overall, it just, it felt, I guess my only complaint, and that's just because, like I said, I didn't do my homework, was that it felt like it was a very, very safe and geared towards younger kids. Well, here's something that you might find interesting, because I didn't know this, I had to look it up, but Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is also PG. Really? Yeah. So maybe it was a combination of the rating and the writing in TMNT that just kind of pushed it more young, aimed it at a younger audience. Yeah. It could also be just strategic in that they'd want the younger kids to go see it so that they can make three more and have those kids go when they're, you know, 14, 16, 18, like that kind of stuff. Um, I have the same complaint about stuff like Clone Wars, the cartoons, because the first two or three seasons are really kiddie. They're very Saturday morning cartoon. Then when you get into seasons like four, five, six, it's like sit down as an adult. I am into this, you know, because they mm. stop being episodic. There's more, you know, season long arcs like that kind of stuff. And and I, I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, animation that still does that, despite the fact that television Saturday morning as, as it was doesn't really exist in the same way. And that no. like if you're doing something as a Netflix series, like if you're going to do like a, a series that you feel 
that the adults that used to watch Clone Wars or used to watch Avatar The Last Airbender are really going to get into, don't start it off, kitty. Aim it at the 20-year-olds and go from yeah. there because I think you'd have a much better way because they're the ones paying for Netflix. You know, like <laughs> they're the ones that are out, <laughs> that are true, out there watching it on their own in their dorm rooms and stuff like that. Like if you want a cult classic in animation, like aim it at the college kids, you know. We used to watch, I mean, this was before streaming, but we used to watch undergrads. One of the, the social things we used to do in, in my college dorm was everybody would get together on Thursday nights and watch like Teletoon at like Teletoon at night or tele, I can't remember what they called it, but it was like Adult Swim. And so they'd be like Duckman and uh, the Oblongs and uh, in, the undergrads oh, yeah. was one of my favorites. Uh, that was actually uh, Canadian made too and like just really funny stuff the cartoons like that was back before family guy existed south park i think debuted my first year of university so like none of that really edgy adult stuff was close simpsons were out but like that was still pretty safe uh because it was on prime time yeah. like network tv right um but this stuff was really kind of pushing limits and and we had a really good time with it uh, I like the look of of Mutant Mayhem. I think that I, I mean I would have liked to go see it in theaters, but you and I like they just they had like one screening a day, and it was like three D yeah. small theater in the evening, and I was like I if if I had a, been in like a regular screening, I totally would have gone, you know. But the three D stuff I can't do. I've got glasses that I have to wear under glasses, and I just I can't. Not my favorite experience. And it was awkward. It, 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 you know, I'm like you. It's always awkward when you're wearing the 3D glasses over the other ones. But it was the only... The, the non-3D time slots were during the day. There's yeah. like one early afternoon and one late afternoon. And then... So basically any any time slot that a grown-up would like to go watch it with their... Well, either on their own or with their kids, it's got to be the 3D version, at least locally. Yeah. That's, so those... Yeah, a little bit okay. frustrating, but I do like what I've seen in the trailer, the way that they do the um, animations on twos or threes, sometimes even a held pose, like that's what makes it look kind of stop motion like. And they also do like yeah. cell shading where they take the 3D and they kind of give it like an outline. So it kind of has a flat look. And I love the stylized stuff. And you even mentioned like pastels and, and like color, like colored pencil looks like that's something I really liked about some of the different things that they've been doing with the not necessarily the Clone Wars, but some of the other Star Wars animated stuff. Uh, I think Bad Batch is like that, where you can actually see like the hand painted textures on the characters, despite the fact that they're CG yeah. and they're not cell shaded, but they have like a, a a textured look. They almost look like puppets in a way, and uh, they almost look like they have felt texture on them, which I think is really cool. And it adds to like a, a bit of a distance with like the suspension of disbelief. It's something that I really wish that Starfield was like, actually, is that they try to be super mm. realistic with Bethesda games. Like it's all, they've always been like that. Uh, I played a little bit of fallout. I've played a bit of Skyrim. They try to make it look as realistic as possible. The problem with that is that it's very often boring from an art direction standpoint. You know what medieval times yeah. looked like realistically gray and brown, right? Like it is, <sighs> it is gray and brown, dark, wet, and that's it, you know? And then Starfield, it's got a lot of gray and brown. Now, Obviously, I, I've mentioned that there was some, you know, lighting and contrasting problems and the way that it's being rendered is not great. But even then, like even when you're in a major city, like everybody's got realistic hair and realistic features and everybody. It, but for that size of video game with that many characters walking around, either Bethesda just didn't do it right or we're just not there yet. It, it very much looks like I'm watching a very poorly done character. The hair on some of these characters looks awful. 
like you know you're talking to a video game puppet they stare at you they barely <laughs> blink like it's, it's really weirdly weird and mm. the uncanny valley is there but when you don't do that when you do it like world of warcraft or i played paleo for a little bit and like those are stylized characters so they're cartoony they've got oversized heads there's like a cat alien that's very animated it looks like a disney cartoon and that kind of stuff you can get away with a lot more and so you don't have to have that suspension yeah. of disbelief and i like that they do that now with like the animation where they're not trying to make it look like super disney or super pixar with star wars animation they're trying to actually not look like that which is surprising because it's all owned by disney now but it's nice that it, it's nice that it has its own signature style as well. So when mm. you see it, yeah, without even knowing what the show is or what the source is, you go, oh yeah, that's that's a Star Wars thing. Remind me of the studio that did Spider Man across the universe. Is that Sony Animation? Yeah, Sony. Yeah. So between Sony and between uh, Illumination, I think is the other one that I think is really good. Uh, they I watched the Super Mario Brothers movie over the last little while, and oh yeah, nice. Um, uh, yeah, I feel like. You know, Sony and Illumination are really up there. Uh, I pay more attention when I see something new coming from them than I do when I see something new coming from Pixar or Disney. I mean, it still it yeah. still kind of piques my interest. I still want to know what's going on. Um, but I was absolutely fine to catch Elemental, which I haven't watched yet, on Disney+. Plus. I wasn't rushing to the theater. Whereas you and I were same trying to get to the theater to see to see teenage mutant ninja turtles right so like there's a difference there there's yeah. a shift there um now another thing is that like teenage mutant ninja turtles doesn't have its own streaming channel that you know it's coming to right like you just you know the disney movies are going to come to disney plus sooner than later and so i uh, i haven't looked to see i think is tmnt still in theaters i believe it is yeah i'm not sure how much i i, I took it well i don't know if it is today i took a peek over the weekend and it seemed to be still there but yeah I'll catch that on streaming the moment it comes out. I don't know if I'm going to have time to go see it in theaters, but you know, it's, it's definitely on my radar and much like the super Mario movie, which I think showed up on Amazon prime for me. Um, you know, happy to sit yeah. down and watch it because, uh, of the studios involved the reviews that I've heard that kind of stuff. So sounds, sounds like a, Oh, it's worth a watch anyway. Moving into Ahsoka, I'm going to start off by reading the email from Zenith, a cafe community member in our Discord. Hello, Joel and Steven. I wanted to write and say that I'm loving the Ahsoka series so far. I've been caught off guard a few times by Ahsoka's imperfections since I tend to idolize her as the quote-unquote perfect Jedi from Clone Wars and Rebels, but after I process what's happened, everything makes a lot more sense with her character and where she is mentally. I feel like the show is a bit slow sometimes, but I think primarily because I want to see more and I look forward to being able to watch through a second time when it's finished and I fully appreciate it. I seem to fall in love with each episode several hours after watching them as I work through the initial that's it emotions. I also love Balin way more than I assumed I would and I'm quite sad that the actor, Ray Stevenson, has passed away. Yeah. They've done a good job of making him an interesting character. Spoiler for last week's episode, I believe this is, yeah, this is referencing episode four, but I've already given a decent spoiler warning. My only big criticism so far is whatever they did to de-age Hayden Christensen as young Anakin Skywalker. I feel that makeup would have looked better than digitally altering him. The world between worlds may have also been a good place to switch to animation instead, in my opinion, despite how that might have felt and how people don't watch Star Wars animation. 
Something about digitally altering people just feels creepy to me, but it might be something I need to get used to as technology improves. Hope you're both well and enjoying the show too. Zenith. Nice. Thanks, Zenith. Yeah, appreciate the email. Always good to hear from the cafe community. If you'd like to send in an email, that is thecitadelcafe at gmail.com. And uh, I really enjoy hearing from listeners, especially when you are watching and uh, or, or maybe even playing the kind of things that we are taking part in here on the show because it, it just fuels the conversation. I'm going to try to do a little bit better in the Discord and letting people know ahead of time. So if you're part of the community and you are in the Discord, then you'll get a heads up, you know, as to what I might be talking about on the show in the coming weeks. And then that mm. way you can like either watch it or if you've already watched it, you might be able to, to write in. Uh, but if you're not a member of the Discord and you want to write in anyway, just let us know what you're watching. Send us in some recommendations. Perfect time of year to do that. Winter is coming, as they say in Game of Thrones. And it's always nice to have a list of things that are recommended <laughs> by like-minded nerds that are out there listening to the Citadel Cafe. So as far as the de-aging thing on Hayden Christensen, I feel like we can just, like, we're just going to jump right in. I don't think we can really talk about this sequentially. We would be here all night. And I feel yeah. like the show is very character driven and that's good because that means we can talk about it based on character rather than on the plot. Uh, and with the de-aging of Hayden Christensen, they, there's a couple times when they do it where it doesn't look the best. And it's when they're in the world between worlds, which is that blue and black kind of background where Ahsoka and Hayden are talking in this vision like area. And it's when he's got long hair. And I don't know whether it's that they've added the hair I don't know why they wouldn't just give him a wig or whether they're trying to mm. add a longer scar or make him look a specific age. But I definitely caught it. It it wasn't as weird as the Luke Skywalker in the Mandalorian as epic as that was when they finally revealed his face. It was still kind of uncanny valley, right? Yeah. And that I noticed. But then when they do the rest of that vision sequence this week in episode five, so this is before... Um, sorry, this email came in before episode five was out. When they do the flashbacks in this week, I felt that Hayden looked really good. And I almost don't think that it was digital. I think they just kind of just did makeup to kind of like remove a little bit of the wrinkles. Cause I think Hayden Christensen is roughly my age. Um, and they're trying to portray him as like a 20 year old in the clone wars. And I thought it was great. I thought he looked like uh, a good mix of Anakin Skywalker from the prequel films that we're used to. And Anakin Skywalker from the Clone Wars, which of course was animated. Uh, but they had this nice kind of mix of like the outfit that he wore in the Clone Wars and then the outfit they wore in the movie, the Clone Wars. Like they, they really kind of mixed it up. And I thought that they did a good job of bringing those two things together. So I didn't mind the digital aging as much as I thought I was going to. I spotted it, but it didn't like bug me. I guess for me personally, I felt there's a couple of points in the flashback sequence where his his face seemed quite, quite, quite smooth. But I think you're right overall. I didn't I didn't notice it throughout the entire flashback sequence. There's there's a couple of times I went, oh yeah, but that was and it just it only popped me out of it for a brief brief second. But overall, I think I agree with you. I think the uh, the world between worlds or you're not the the not you're not quite dead yet <laughs> realm. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, it was it was more noticeable there. Although I I do like the the I don't know if they aged him more digitally or they just didn't de-age him as much when his lightsaber turned red in the ladder fight sequence. Then he had like bags under his eyes and he looked he looked more worn and so I thought that 
you know, the, the differentiate, the differentiation between him at the beginning when he says, you know, choose to live or die kind of thing and had a blue lightsaber versus when he kind of came at her again at the end with a red lightsaber. I thought that was kind of a nice change. And I couldn't tell if that was digital or not. I don't think it was digital. And I think there might be, an, there might've been some eye coloring digital because he has like yellowy kind of Sith eyes. But this brings up a really interesting question is that you haven't seen episode three. Correct. And you also, I believe, haven't watched Rebels. Correct. <laughs> Have you watched much of the Clone Wars, if any? No, not yet. It's been it's been on my radar, but it's just uh, yeah, the work work's been just busier than usual, and just life, and it's been hard to get to. But and that's good though, because it means that unlike me, who's watched all that stuff and has all of this knowledge from watching it. Granted, I only watched them one time through, but no, like well, I've seen episode three a number of times, but the cartoons I've only watched one time through. It's a it's a different way of watching the series if you're. You know, if your information on Ahsoka really only comes from her showing up in The Mandalorian as Rosario Dawson, right? Showing up in the Book yeah. of Boba Fett, you know, when she's talking with Luke and stuff and Grogu, like that kind of stuff is, it's an interesting kind of jumping off point. So for you, you know, coming to the Ahsoka series, like how, like what are your impressions of like the character Ahsoka and the things that are happening with only the knowledge that you're bringing to the table? Uh, I think that uh, I find her character really interesting. I thought it was, uh, I mean, I only, as you said, I only know her from when she showed up in the Mandalorian and she was just this cool, badass, mysterious character that just showed up out of nowhere. And, and she's got this look to her. She just kind of has this stoic look to her. You don't know whether she's, you know, a bad guy at first or not. And then you see the, the lightsabers, lightsaber colors. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not as big of a Star Wars super fan there's a lot of people. So like, I'm not fully up on lightsaber colors because, you know, in um, episode one and two, a lot of the Jedi had different color swords. So I wasn't sure, like, do all Sith and all bad guy have red and that's it. So when her, when her lightsabers first lit up, I was still going, okay, I don't know, you know, don't know which side she's on, but she was, uh, I, I mean, I like Ro Rosario Dawson. Rosario Dawson and basically everything. So when when I saw that it was her and and looking pretty badass, I was really excited to see what her character was going to be about. So um, yeah, I know like that's that's been that was my introduction and and I haven't been in, I haven't been disappointed by her performance or anything or her portrayal of the character so far. I think they're doing a really decent job of giving enough information for people like you to be really into the show and invested in the character of Ahsoka even if they hadn't seen much. Uh, but chances are, if you're mm -hmm. watching Ahsoka, the Star Wars series, you're probably familiar with The Mandalorian because I think that's probably how people got into Star Wars TV is like Grogu, Baby Yoda phenomenon. Yeah. Er everybody's Yoda, in The yeah. Mandalorian. <laughs> and now they're like, I'm going to watch all the new Star Wars TV shows when they come out. Uh, but when they introduce, yeah. you know, in, in other shows, there's little Easter eggs about the Clone Wars, but like th they mentioned the Clone Wars, there might be a helmet on the wall, that kind of stuff. Uh, but then they've started yeah. dropping these bigger hints. So like Zeb, who was the big purple, um, I think he's a Zabrak is the name of his race. He was in the Mandalorian last season at the bar. Right. He's from Rebels, right? So then all of a sudden you start to realize they're bringing characters from the cartoons. And now they're bringing all the characters from Re Rebels. Like, gosh, there's Harrison Dula. You've got Sabine Wren. You've got um, even uh, David Tennant rep reprises his role as Hugh Yang. 
you know like there's oh he was the voice of the cartoon yeah. as well and and they're nice. doing it i mean dave filoni is doing it very very well and very very right it really helps that filoni was very involved in all the clone war stuff so then translating these things to live action you can get away with it like they've managed to make purgle a real thing in star wars which are the space whales that travel through hyperspace mm. like if you write that down on a piece of paper it sounds real dumb and anybody that's a star wars fan from the 80s is gonna be like that sounds really dumb space whales really yeah um but you know you handle it the way that the filoni has handled it gradually introducing them in the cartoons bringing them in as as something that's a key plot point and then the way that they handle it in live action effects where these things are absolutely massive and have this part to play in ancient like really old like older than the jedi kind of science and uh intergalactic travel like just really really interesting stuff and it sounds really hokey but they've managed to pull it off and i i think it's because they don't hold your hand they mm. don't like there's a moment in one of the more recent episodes i think it was this one where jason sandula harris son says oh yeah you've told me stories about the purgle they've that's you know that that's what saved ezra and took the bad guys away and like that is a one sentence plot line to like the final season of rebels <laughs> like it's just it's it's there's a lot more to it than that but you're giving the people that didn't watch rebels enough to be like okay this isn't the reason why they're not freaking out about these whales is because it's not the first time they've seen them right and right. they're not taking an entire you know paragraph of dialogue to explain that to you it's it's like the moment when Hugh Yang tells Carson Jason Sindula's dad was a Jedi and so he's got powers and Carson's like oh cool and then that's it they just kind of move on but yep. all right let's follow the lead all then. the rebels fans knew that but people like you need to know that <laughs> yeah and it's it's really cool that they just throw in these little lines for humor uh they don't bring the plot to a grinding halt it's like the last sentence in a scene it's done very very well and with a, a not a lot of economy and because they don't bash you over the head with it i i think it's i think it's really really working you know all of those details better than i do but like even, even when i was trying to do a bit of research um on the show just leading up to like you always try to look up a little a little bit more when we before we do the recording and i wish i could remember the source of it and maybe it was a it might have been an IMDb trivia point or something, but just even the writing where when they were in the forest and they needed to shut down the ship so they couldn't be spotted, this this trivia piece said that, you know, Ahsoka made sure to say, you know, we're going to have to shut Huyang off as well so that there was no trace of anything electronic going on, which apparently was a throwback to the Clone War or the animated series when Anakin forgot to turn off the medical droid, which then allowed than to be found or something like that. So basically it was just almost like a, a throw, like it just a, a one liner mini throwback to, to it, it was either the animated series or it might've been one of like episode two or three or something like that. But it was basically something Anakin forgot to do that Ahsoka made sure that she did this time around. I'm excited for you to finally catch up and watch episode three, because then you can go through, you wouldn't have to go and watch like the clone wars, but there's all these great animated shorts, like the tales of the Jedi now that are just like addressing these characters like Dooku um there's the kenobi series you know like there's all that stuff and they're just kind of like fleshing yeah. out these characters but 
some of them like you kind of need to know where they are in the timeline for you to really appreciate kind of like what's happening I'm actually looking forward to reading some of the books. The The new Thrawn book is apparently very good. And there's an Ahsoka novel that's out now that that apparently is getting good reviews. So uh, my reading this winter, nice. I think I'm going to get back into some some Star Wars stuff. But uh, I, like you, very much appreciate Rosario Dawson's portrayal as Ahsoka. Yeah. She's an older Ahsoka. The character would be in her 40s, where the character in the Clone Wars starts her off as 14. And I think the Clone Wars ends when she's around 17 or 18. She's not like super old at that point. And so there's been enough time now where she's in her forties and Dawson brings these like wry smiles that still hints at like how cunning she is and the whimsy of a younger Ahsoka. Like when stuff went her way in, in the cartoons, she was pretty happy about it. Yeah. You know, Jedi can be a little overconfident sometimes. And, and mm -hmm. you definitely get that from Rosario Dawson's portrayal of Ahsoka. She's very somber and very serious when she's dealing with Sabine Wren but then when she talks to the Purgle at the end of this last episode, like she's all smiles, you know, like she's like, this is cool. I can do this. You know, like I, I, I can't believe that this idea worked. Like she gets excited about like, <laughs> let's just find out, hope this works like that kind yeah. of stuff. And those are the kind of things that Ahsoka was learning in the Clone Wars from Anakin because Anakin was so powerful and so strong in the force that a lot of what he did just looked like luck, right? And so she picked right. up that she kind of picked up that if you stick to the rules, you may ultimately fail. But if you kind of make the rules up as you go along, stay in tune with the force, then you could be triumphant. And in that way and in that arrogance, she kind of got that from Anakin. And it's it's a really subtle way that they they bring it into the show and yeah like if you watch it if you if you if we rewatch any of these episodes and actually what i would recommend for people at home instead of rewatching the show by yourself at home alone go to the youtube channel blind wave star wars for wave squadron it's their exclusive star wars reaction channel and they'll mm. play most of the episode at the bottom of the screen and react to key moments. So one, you don't have to invest the entire time to go watch the whole show again, but then you get all these commentary bits and reactions from people watching it for the first time. It's way more fun. Then they have all this insight into all of this content that they've watched and they can bring that to the table when they talk about the show in specific situations like episode five, which was just this past week. Uh, it's an epic reaction like it, last week and this hmm. week like a couple of guys couldn't stay in their chairs they were so excited about what was going on uh they're younger than you and i i think they grew up watching clone wars so like they are prime targets for dave filoni pulling on the heartstrings yeah. right like these guys are tearing up i i really like watching them but it also brings in a lot of information that even i maybe don't have because they've read books and they they play video games that are all star wars and they have all this kind of like input but they brought up something really interesting about how Dave Filoni really understands Star Wars in that he writes and presents certain things, certain concepts as up for interpretation. So there's no right or wrong. There's going to be people that are arguing on the internet because it's Star Wars and it's Star Wars fans, but ultimately <laughs> it's up to you. And I think that's really important because he doesn't explain away the mysticism of the force, which is even something George Lucas is guilty of. Cause I don't know anybody that thinks metachlorians was a good idea. Right. I, yeah, everybody much same. prefers space wizards, you know, like the magic, you know, leave it at that. 
And, and I think that he's kind of bringing that back in uh, with the world between worlds. So you don't really know much about the world between worlds at all, right? Like that's kind of a, that's a no. new concept. So in Rebels, and this is not a giant spoiler, I'll keep this pretty loose. Uh, Ezra Bridger, who is mentioned in the show, that's who they're going to go find, is mm-hmm. a force sensitive individual, is being trained by Kalen Jarrus, who is um, Jason Sandula's dad. And he is very force sensitive in unique ways. Leave it at that. And he gets access to the world between worlds. And so we've seen it before and we've had it explained to us before. And there's very few Jedi, usually masters who get access to this. So Ezra Bridger being access, being able to access it as a young man is really unusual uh, and kind of like pushes him as like the star of the show and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, It's this space where Jedi can communicate with each other. So in terms of what you're used to in the Jedi Star Wars universe, think about it when Ben Kenobi appears to Luke Skywalker as a force ghost. Right. It's that kind of a thing, except it's not time sensitive. So that's why, or one of the reasons why Anakin Skywalker, as he appears to Ahsoka in the world between worlds is... 25 year old Anakin Skywalker because at this Hmm. point in the Star Wars timeline we know that Ahsoka has met Luke Skywalker who like Darth Vader died on the Death Star (laughs) you know this is all pre-Mandalorian like he's Anakin Skywalker is dead in Ahsoka's real world so to be able to see young Anakin it's it kind of has this weird push and pull and that's what I mean about it leaving it open to interpretation is it a vision of Anakin Skywalker? Is it just oh, I see, Ahsoka yeah. remembering Anakin Skywalker in her memory? Right? Or hmm. is it Anakin Skywalker projecting his self into the Force at the time when he was still alive, seeing into the future where Ahsoka needs him? Like, there's no one... You can't say for sure. You can look at all the different things that happened, the different bits of dialogue, and arrive at your own conclusion, and that is the beauty of this show right now, is that it's not smacking you in the face with this is how this has to be it's this is now more mystical and up for interpretation and i really really like that and there's a couple of things that they say like as an example there's a the fight where in the flashback ahsoka is battling in the siege of mandalore which we're familiar with only in in passing because we've we've talked about it in the mandalorian show and Ahsoka was there during the Siege of Mandalore. And Anakin walks into the vision and says, I don't remember this battle. And Ahsoka can say, well, that's because we have parted ways at this point. You weren't here. We, you weren't my master at this point. She wasn't even part of the Jedi at that point in the cartoon. Hmm. And so you get that. Well, that's kind of strange. Like if, if Anakin in this is supposed to be in her mind, why would he walk in and say, I don't remember this? Right. So like, that's a strange thing. And then at the end of that fight, as you mentioned, when um, he's got a red lightsaber and they're fighting and she says, I don't want to fight you. He says, I've heard that before. (laughs) You want to know who said that? Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi. Right. So like there's and those are the kind of lines that Dave Filoni throws in there where like you're sitting there snapping and whistling at the screen. Like, I know that, I know that reference. <laughs> like, I got that. I got that, Dave. <laughs> and, and it's very, very well done. 
but it leaves it up to you. Like it kind of like, is that, are those the two bits that kind of make you think, well, maybe it is Anakin. And then, you know, he disappears as fast as he arrives. And uh, if you want a really good feel good time, look up a bunch of reaction videos to the first appearance of Anakin in this show, which is the first time that Ahsoka and Anakin have been on screen together since the Clone Wars when they separated back in, you know, when that series ended. There are a lot oh, yeah. of people losing their ever loving Star Wars minds in a very positive way. <laughs> I want to talk about Ray Stevenson as Balin Skull. And mm. this is new to me. I've never heard of him. You would know as much about him as, as I do. It is such a shame that he passed away as Zenith brought up in, in the email because I really like him as an actor. Actually, he's he was in Thor. He was in Rome. Uh, he's been in a bunch of stuff. And uh, I really like him as Balin Skull. Mm -hmm. it, he brings a, a lot of layers to the villain, a lot of reverence. Like he's a villain. Uh, he's a fallen Jedi and he's changed his ways, but he's not an animal. Like he's not just, he's not Darth Maul, right? Like he's not, a, a yeah. choppy choppy hitman you know he's still got some honor among thieves so to speak and you know when he spares sabine wren because he said he would because she gave him the map uh there's a lot to him that i like and he's also menacing as all hell the sword the, oh, the, yeah. the lightsaber battle between ahsoka and 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 um balen skull was just fantastic like he's just two-handed claymore style medieval you know heavy heavy blows and very intentional even though that sequence felt like it was shot slower he moves slower in some ways but swings faster in others it's really bizarre in a good way it, it's really not yeah. what you normally see from lightsaber battles which i think is is interesting well he's just he has such like a presence on screen it was just and and, and to go to i guess add on to what you're saying about his fight sequence. He he basically, in my mind, was just, if I remember correctly, it's like his body was just moving straight forward and his arms were swinging, like the, like you said, double-handed double, double swinging the, the the lightsaber around for the fight, but he didn't really stop moving forward. He's just like this. Yes. <laughs> he's like this tank going forward and just like, I'm coming at you and my lightsaber is going to block anything your lightsaber is doing and I'm just going to continue to move forwards. Yeah, very aggressive. It, it, as he, it's funny how he, he appears to move slowly, but you're right. Like he's always gaining ground. He's always taking something from the opponent. Even if he's blocking, he's still stepping forward. You know, like it's, yeah. it's, it's very good in that way. And I thought it was interesting too. And p there are people that are out there that are much bigger lightsaber nerds than I am, where they would notice the different forms that he was taking. And um, one of them is, is a form that was favored by Qui-Gon Jinn and I don't know if Qui-Gon was his master at some point. I can't remember. They dropped a lot of information in the first couple of shows that I don't really remember. Uh, there was a lot of mm. uh, Hugh Yang talking about like, I've only ever, because Hugh Yang sees the lightsabers. They analyze the lightsaber designs. And Hugh Yang says, I don't recognize the lightsaber from this other one, which is um, Shin Hattie or Haiti. That's the apprentice of a skull. But he recognizes Balin's skull's lightsaber because he's he's only ever seen one of them in his entire, you know, career as a lightsaber, you know, designer at, in the Jedi Temple. Right. And so it was able to identify Balin's skull, and that makes him really interesting because it means he used to be a Jedi. He's not just some force wielding Sith person. Like he's he's used to be a Jedi. Somehow managed to escape Order sixty six, and um, 
and has like adopted like so has knowledge like there's you think about a sith being this crazy lightsaber wielding you know force villain but then if you think about a fallen jedi like there's somebody that's trained in all the different lightsaber forms that all the jedis use and knows them and now is fighting yeah. against them with you know the, that knowledge like it's it's he's he's regal and terrifying at the same time and it's it mm -hmm. works out very very well for him uh stevenson used to stand six three um and so that's a that's a big person Jeez. i don't know yeah. how tall rosario dawson is but she's not she's not six feet tall uh i no. want to say she's probably about average maybe five foot five um but yeah it's it's one of those things where it the two of them on screen together is is magic and even uh ahsoka does some cool moves where she kind of like props herself up with a foot behind her against a stone and that's like a signature yep. ahsoka move from the cartoons and there's a really cool interview with rosario dawson from the star wars days in london earlier this year where they asked her about the training and she would watch the cartoons and really it's like i want to do that and she'd take the sequence to their sword master and the sword master were like that's impossible that's a cartoon we can't do that but we can do this, you know? And so like, there's the like spins and flips and these like weird stretches and the sword master's like, no, that's a cartoon. We can't do that, but let's, let's try to do something similar or whatever. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I thought that was really, really, really neat. Um, I can't say I'm really taken by Shin Hattie, the, the apprentice. She's very one note. Um, I don't necessarily think that's, you know, Ivana Sankno's fault like i think i think that the writing for her yeah. is just basically do as master says look grumpy that's kind of her direction that yeah. she's been given uh i hope that they give her more yeah i like sometimes i like to to do plot guessing just to get just as things come together like i wonder what they're going to do and there's she seems i find her character even though she hasn't really said a ton i find her interesting enough in the sense that she seems like she's just you know as a character just broken enough to be potentially maybe go against her master at some point. So there, there's part of me that feels like once everything starts to go down at the end, that um, Balin might have a change of, might have a change of mm. heart once he realizes what's really going to go down. And then she's going to like, then Shin's suddenly going to be like, no, this is what we signed up for. This is what we're doing. And then she like, maybe she takes him down. I, I don't know. They're just, like I said, I like to do plot guessing sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's, I, I wonder if it's going to go something like that. She does have that, myopic view doesn't she yeah and and, he, and there seems to be something like wise something good about balin still in like his wisdom and his ways like you said honor amongst thieves kind of thing like i feel like there's it may get pushed to a point where it's like no this is this is not what i signed up for and she, but this is what she signed up for kind of thing so i don't know i'll be in interesting to see how it plays out because it's um I mean, and it's as sad as it is, or unfortunate as it is, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out now that the uh, the actor has passed away. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. I mean, this all happens before the sequel trilogy, and there's no mention of Balin Skull and any of that stuff. So, But mm -hmm. there also wasn't any mention of uh, Ahsoka Tano, and she met Luke Skywalker. So, like, you know, yeah. it's, a big, it's a big galaxy. So there, there's room, I think, for some of these tales to just, like, have fuzzy endings you know especially now that we know that there's another galaxy that is impossible to travel to unless you know where it is have a giant hyperspace ring which is very cool by the way uh and and 
or know how to ride a whale. You know, like there's there's only a couple ways to get there. <laughs> I love how those are the two yeah. options. You know how to build this massive warp ring or your buddy buddy with whales. And that's like that's where I get I like the epic Star Warsy stuff that they're doing. Like that giant hyperspace ring is incredible and it's not another mm. death star like it, it, hey. it, it feels imperial <laughs> it has that kind of grandeur it has that kind of overkill um you know morgan elizabeth is creepy but not like old and scraggly like an emperor like she's she's one of the night sisters and that's all you know clone wars cartoon stuff like there's there's a lot that i think that they're doing to make that kind of like weird cartoony stuff palatable as a live action and you know by bringing mm. in the giant hyperspace ring like it it brings in the kind of grandeur from the movies but it doesn't like just copy the same idea over and over again yeah yeah you know like i think that kind of stuff uh seeing the ghost the ship in live action is fantastic although i noticed this past episode in episode five that there's no color on it I'm pretty sure that in the cartoons it had like yellow paint and green spots on it. Uh, now, granted, there's been a lot of years and an entire war since then because Rebels is set just before the act, like the events of the th original three Star Wars movies. So yeah. the ghost would have been in the, all that. And sure, I guess it could have been retrofitted with other stuff, but like it's a little bit too bad that it doesn't have some telltale signs. For example, Ahsoka's Jedi starship is you know got that you know maroon and gray kind of coloring to it so it stands out the ghost stood out right. like that in the cartoons it had some coloring on it and i'm a little bit surprised that you know with all the close-ups that we've had it's not looked like that it's still cool that it's there though it's still cool to have it it's still cool to have chopper in live action he got a little annoying in the <laughs> cartoons but that's because the cartoons were that he was part of the cartoons that was often written for kids yeah yeah but in the show he's a great comic relief just like a grumpy r2d2 you know like he's there's a there's a sequence when Harrison Dula is putting a homing device on, I think it's Elsbeth's ships as they um, warp away. Or no, some some people are warping away from a a shipping yard, and she's trying to get Chopper to put a homing beacon on it, and he can't find it. And he's oh, like, right. "Did you go through my stuff?" And she's like, "No, I didn't go through your stuff." Like that's the kind of attitude that he has, <laughs> and it just it's really fun when they add stuff like that in. I really like the, the lightsaber fights, like I mentioned, between Ahsoka and Skull, but also between Sabine and Shin. I thought that was a really interesting fight, too, because then you've got a yeah. lot, another Mandalorian. There's a really fun moment when Sabine puts her hand out and tried to do a force push, but it didn't really work because Sabine can't really get in touch with the force. And Shin is like, you have no power. And then Sabine cocks her wrist and shoots her with a wrist rocket. I'm <laughs> just like this perfect so so mandalorian like just d yeah. deflect and distract and then shoot somebody in the face with a wrist rocket like just it's classic star wars stuff all that i think has been has been really good and i think the only thing that i would say for me right now is a, is a bit of a negative is some of the plot stuff has been very slow mm. episode three was short and really didn't move anything forward we had a great space battle there was that fight with, you know, Sabine and Ahsoka in the ship and all the starfighters attacking, protecting a planet. Like it was a cool sequence, but like there was no real plot movement in that 35 minutes. Yeah. And so that felt a little bit slow. And I'm on the fence uh, on whether the show is shot slow, 
if the dialogue is a little bit clunky, how do you feel? Like, do you feel like it's a, it's a slow show? Um, I feel like it's a slow show, but it's, I sort of like it in that way, the same way I liked the Mandalorian for it. It's like, it seems that there's, it's so rare that there are shows that take their time and just allow, I don't know, just allow the characters to just sit and not be like, what's going next? What's, what's going next? Let's move on to the next thing. Let's have like a thousand miles per hour dialogue going on just to fill the empty spaces. We like, you know, you don't have to have nonstop banter just as you walk from one space to another, just because, you know, you want to fill that empty time or whatever. So there, there's there's something about it that I do appreciate. And, and and I actually I like Ahsoka more than The Mandalorian because The Mandalorian, it seemed the pacing was slow, which was interesting. And it's and it made everything seem that much more intentional. But then every episode was like the same sort of structure. Like it would be like almost every for the first season anyway, it was you know, he meets someone else. He goes on this side quest with this baby Yoda and then, and it's wrapped up. Then he gets in a ship and he goes on to the next thing. So it was like after a, like, I'm the only one who's still watching the Mandalorian. The rest of my family was like, um, it kind of was just the same thing every week. And so they stopped watching after season one. Um, and, but the thing that I liked about this, it's still, it seems to be still taking the time allowing, you know, these, these slow intentional moments, but the, the story feels like it's been progressing forward throughout the entire season there's like there's no been been no one-off season sorry no one-off episodes so far so i'm in, i'm enjoying it the only i think asterisk there is just episode three everything else like you said has been this yeah. uh, it's like a march and like a game of chess i feel like they are moving pieces slowly into pace and i think it's going to become a little bit faster now that i'm assuming we're going to see thrawn finally and in the yeah. fi- in the last three episodes because it's a mini series and it's only eight episodes i don't believe it's set up for more than one season i think we'll see more of ahsoka i don't think so but i don't think we're going to see her in this series i think ahsoka will show up in another season of the mandalorian or you know some other series that, that star wars is doing right or that culmination movie they're supposed to do once everything wraps up that i think we'll see for sure because i mean i don't see them wrapping this up in any way shape or form in the next three episodes in terms of the mm-hmm. the big things you know like thrawn yeah all that kind of stuff i can see them wrapping up ahsoka's part in it maybe but uh and maybe something like bail and skull but i don't see them wrapping up the big the big plot devices are not uh are not being wrapped up if anything they're being set up in in this series yeah. which i'm i'm all for I mean, i'm fine with thrawn being the next big bad rather than the emperor coming back from the dead you know like i, I much prefer something new which I think will be very, very cool. Much like the way that the lightsaber fights are shot slow, slower, I guess I should say. To me, it reminds me of samurai movies. I, there, it's a lot mm-hmm. of standoff. It's a lot of, I move my foot three inches to the left. You counter by moving your foot two inches backwards. You know, like that kind of stuff. And, and I yeah. feel like if you take that idea and you apply it to how the show is shot, and how some of the dialogue is delivered, then it's a little easier to take. Yes. And like you said, I think we are unfortunately conditioned to mile a minute the way that most stuff is shot these days, specifically film, but also action TV is pretty bad. But it's just, it's so fast. It's so high octane. It's really hard to see what's going on. It's hard to track sometimes. And because the show is not that, I don't know that it's slow. It just might be normal pace, but we've just gotten so used to the, the, you know, splatter gun way that so many new things are, are, 
are shown to us that we're we're feeling that it's slow even though it's just not um but i'm like i said yeah. i'm liking most of it there are some wooden dialogue moments where like there's these really long pauses and i kind of wonder like maybe it's the fact that the other actors wasn't there you know like maybe we're looking at a, a different like a different shot from a different time like we have to get Hera back to say these lines to Jason Sandula, but Jason Sandula is in school. So we're just going to get her to say those lines mm. and we'll put Jason in later. And there's this weird pause sometimes between mother and son talking where it's like, I've not ever witnessed two people standing in the same place talking that slowly to one another. It's, it's weird. Yeah. And I, I don't want to lay anything at the feet of Mary Elizabeth Winstead because she's a good actor. And I, I think that she's doing well with Hera. I think it's just the writing. I think it's just the lines that they give her are a little bit awkward. It might be the situations from, a, like I said, an acting tennis match where the people she's talking to may not be in the same scene physically when they were filming it, that kind of stuff. But I, I like most of it. I do find her eyes very distracting, which is weird because Rosario Dawson is wearing blue contact lenses for Ahsoka. And I notice them from time to time, but I don't find them as distracting as the very unnatural looking green eyes that Harrison Dula has. And mm. I, you know, I, I, I can appreciate that, you know, as we, as we get into these shows, comics and cartoons and stuff, characters have certain eyes and it makes sense to do them. It's like Henry Cavill in the Witcher. He has to have these yellow eyes when he goes into battle mode, like that kind of stuff. But honestly, I wouldn't be upset if they just said, you know what, let's just Hera for live action is not going to have blazing green twee like eyes. She's going to have brown eyes because that's what color, you know, Winstead's eyes are. And she's got very pretty eyes. So just let her act with those. And I'm just wondering if yeah. some of what Winstead is capable of is being lost under all the prosthetics. And I, I think that the decision to give her the green eyes is like, well, we have to do it this way because this is the way that the fans want it. And I was like, you know, I feel like at least for my part as a fan, I wouldn't care. I would much rather, you know, the actor be comfortable and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, by the way, tip of the hat to, to anybody in the show, specifically Rosario Dawson and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who have to go through probably hours of prosthetic makeup to get into yeah, that yeah. and act through it. You know, like it's it's can't be easy. But uh, it, I mean, Ahsoka Tano's getup looks phenomenal. Like I, I really don't question it in the slightest you know I, I forget half the time that it's rosario dawson every once in a while the light hits her and it obviously still looks like her but most of the time you're very much thinking that it's ahsoka any final thoughts before we wrap up on ahsoka not really criticism on ahsoka per se but it's just like i guess overall enjoying it i guess my one of my i don't know if it's a beef or whatever but just sometimes i feel like the uh the main characters in star wars shows sometimes like i like the pacing but everyone's seen like all of the main characters seem to be so stoic on some level, almost like they feel like they need to deliver, like drop a line of wisdom every time they speak kind of thing. And, and, if, and I think it's probably just because at, you know, as I know not the Mandalorian's not a Jedi, but as the Jedi's become the master with a pupil, they all, they all seem to get to this, like, well, now I have to use my master talking to my pupil mm -hmm. voice and, and I'm going to be slightly cryptic because guess what? There's a lesson in there that you've got to figure <laughs> out for yourself yeah. kind of thing. And after a while I'm like, Oh, just, just let one of them be fun and sarcastic. Every once in a while, I get that feeling. Just like, but even even like Mandalorian, his delivery and and like Boba Fett and how they speak, it's always like with this, you know, I've been through a lot, so I'm going to talk with this edge of wisdom in my voice, kind of thing now. And it's uh, yeah, not not a big criticism, but every once in a while, I'm like, all right, kind of show everyone that you know how to emote. 
in the Mandalorian, it's it's a homage to Westerns having very little dialogue, <laughs> you know, the, the the strong silent type. Sort oh of deal. yeah, yeah. But I I know what you mean, and in in that, I think you would really enjoy the relationship between Obi Wan and Anakin in the Clone Wars because. They can't mm-hmm. do that for seven seasons. Like it would drive everybody nuts and kids wouldn't watch it. And so Anakin yeah. and Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars have to adapt to changing situations constantly. So there's not a lot of time to be stoic, right? And the yeah. one excuse I'll give it for this show is that Ahsoka is still dealing with a lot. And that's what I think her vision this past week was about was she left her training and she's got this legacy of death that Balin Skull brought up and that her master ended up being Darth Vader. So she doesn't want to take the chance of passing on what she's learned to a new pupil. She didn't want to train Grogu. She, you know, doesn't want to train Sabine. Uh, She walked away from that because of the fear of uh, failing and passing on things that she shouldn't pass on or is scared to pass on. And the lesson I think in hmm. in her vision, her encounter with Anakin in the world between worlds is that she has to get over this if she's going to move forward. And I think yeah. there's there's a big light shift, quite literally. They dress her in a lot of white after she comes out of the water and she's more smiley. She's more goofy. She's, uh, you know, knocks on the canopy of the spaceship saying like, Hu Yang, go in there. You know, like it's, it's a lot more vibrant. And I think that she had this weight and uh stress Hmm. on her shoulders i i think unfortunately that's the kind of thing where clone wars and rebels fans are going to get it right away and then people like you coming to it a lot greener are just like i don't know why they're so stoic all the time you know um luke luke skywalker was like that in return of the jedi he talked very calm and it was an acting choice from hamill they unfortunately pulled that forward into the appearance of like DH Luke Skywalker in the Mandalorian. But I think a lot of that had to do with, we can't have him speak quickly because the technology just can't keep up. Yeah. Like, I don't think it would work. I think it would, I think it would fall apart technically. And that's why he had to speak so slowly. But I agree with you. I think that it, it feels broken and disjointed and it feels like they speak in this very kind of condescending calm, you know, and and you're just like this, that's a good way yeah, to put it. Yeah, the situation doesn't... Because then you've got, like, on the flip side of that, you've got not Sabine Wren. You've got the other characters in The Mandalorian, like, talking back and forth to one another in a very serious situation where they're all trapped in a room. And that dialogue pacing is much different. And then mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker comes in and starts speaking in very slow, complete sentences with long pauses. And it's just, like, it feels very strange. And I, I can see that happening here too. You know, like even Sabine, Sabine talks a lot faster and, and acts different than Ahsoka. And in a way they could be doing that on purpose to contrast, right? The, like the yin yang of their yeah. relationship is like Ahsoka is the is the calm, I'm trying to weigh every situation so I don't make any mistakes. And Sabine is more like, I'm really impatient. I just want to get shit done. And, you know, yeah. it, it it's a push and pull that they have. Yeah, I guess it's partially because like in, in the original three movies, you did have the stoic characters like Yoda, like Obi-Wan mm. Kenobi, like Darth Darth Vader. But then you had like, it, it was balanced against three POs. Chitter chatter. Must And then you'd have also like Han Solo and he was just like sarcastic all over the place. Like you, you had characters that seemed to not fall into those roles as well that were like almost a complete opposite that kind of balanced it out. And I don't, and maybe it's just that, like you said, I'm green, coming to a greener, but it just it feels like the characters that balance it out haven't been there as much in the tv shows 
Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that the I think the cast of characters has to be a little bit smaller. And I also wonder if they're kind of consciously trying to make sure they don't copy the movies. You know, like they want to try to do something new. In, yeah, in that fair, way. Enough, but, fair enough. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. It can feel a little bit monotone in that way. But again, this is just me being nitpicky. Like overall, thoroughly enjoying this. Like I, I, I can find very few flaws with this in a show that I, and I'm really enjoying it. Like I'm just again, if I had to pick at some things, those would be the things I picked at. I'm the same way. I have I have little things like that, but you know, I, I'm very curious to see where it's going to go. I'm obviously going to be watching the moment that it comes out. Actually, I forgot to watch yeah. it last night. I got tired and went to bed, forgetting that it came out at ten o'clock. <laughs> same here <laughs> and then i got up this morning and i was watching like checking the news on social media and checking the weather and then there was like an ahsoka thing that scrolled by and i was like oh crap <laughs> you know thankfully it wasn't a spoiler but i was just like oh i have to watch that right now before i do any internet so i i made breakfast and i watched it over breakfast because like i can't be on the internet today without knowing what happened especially after this cliffhanger from last week so yeah, yeah. it's going to be fun to watch the rest of it and I'm sure there will be more commentary on it on this show as we we finish up. And I'm sure there's going to be lots of questions as to where it's going and what's happening next. So it should be a good time. Mm-hmm. Moving into the Internet Minute, which is, of course, brought to you by you, dear listener. The Citadel Cafe is 100% listener supported. If you're getting value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back in. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Joining at any level will get you an invite to the member-only Discord server, which is shared with my personal Discord, and access to Burst to Cut bonus audio sessions. Special thanks to Bean Counter patrons Cosmic and Smurf588. Thank you ever so much for your support of this episode. Patron count is at 29. That's down two from August, so there's always room for more. Our goal each time we record is to have at least one more patron than the previous episode. If you would like to be patron number 30, visit patreon.com slash thecitadelcafe. My pick this week is short and sweet, and thanks to Alistair McFly, who sent this to me moments before I sat down to record. This is the Behind the Brick YouTube short tour of the Duck Bricks Lego collection. It's about 90 seconds. It's just a little YouTube short. However, it did lead me to the Duck Bricks YouTube channel and a massive Lego collection tour that's 90 minutes long on their YouTube channel. So I'll have links to all of this in the show notes, and it'll be very easy for you to find on YouTube and watch. I've not watched the 90 minute one. I just watched the 90 second tour, and I think it's 8,000 sets that are in this collection room. I believe that's what he said. It is bananas. There's two or three Millennium Falcons on the wall. There's all kinds of Ninjago dragons like hung from the ceiling. There's It's wild. And it's a lot to take in. It's more about just the vastness of the collection rather than like honing in on anything one you know specific. Uh, but I'm very curious to see a little bit more. I'm probably going to throw on that uh, collection tour from the creator uh, of this collection at some point in the background, maybe when I'm doing dishes or something and just check it out, but it's wild. Yeah. <laughs> hope it's insured. Oh, I would hope so, man. You'd have to, right? Cause I mean, that's also just like the cost, you know, like the, the sheer monetary yeah. value of some of those being collectibles and worth way more than they would have been paid for. You know, I wonder if something like that would be like worth more than the house itself. And I'm, I was going to say it partially as a joke, but then I just went, hold on a sec. I mean, it, I, I don't have the math, the brain quick enough to do the math right now, but there are thousands, and I just caught the clip of it too, and thousands of minifigures, over 8,000 completely built sets in and around hanging on the walls and stuff. Like, that's got to be... It's got to be well into, I mean, it's well into five figures for sure. Oh, yeah. 
but yeah. like with housing prices these days, eh, I yeah, don't know if it's enough, a half million. Enough. You know, it depends on it depends on the house, I guess. I'll go with you could buy a car with it. More than a car, definitely. You could definitely you could definitely get yourself a car for that. But like, I would rather have the Lego to be honest. <laughs> Well, that wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that Stephen and I talked about tonight at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can email us at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com, just like Zenith, and find the show by name on social media. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and even YouTube. Please leave a rating or a review on your favorite podcast app. That is a great way for new listeners to find the show. You can also just tell people. Tell people that you've enjoyed listening, where they can go to find it. It's always a great way to grow the listener base. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything that I am doing online at joelduggan.com. That includes a link to my other podcast about Minecraft at thespawnchunks.com. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream at least three days a week. Lego on Fridays, Minecraft on the weekends, and lately a fair bit of Starfield, which I do plan on continuing from here on out. You can find Stephen at Stephen ESC on social media and Twitch. You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two. Mm-hmm.